Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And before we begin our show today, I want to share with you about an exciting opportunity for you to join the How They Love Mary community. If you listen to a lot of podcasts like I do, you'll know that a growing trend behind podcasts right now is the bonus content offered through Patreon. This podcast has been paid for and sponsored by me exclusively over the past year and a half. And now I'm inviting you as listeners to join the How They Love Mary Patreon community at the $3 tier or at the $5 tier. I'm not trying to get rich off this podcast. I'm just trying to recover my monthly expenses. But if we do get a lot of support, that's going to allow this podcast to branch out even further, to hire a graphic designer, to have somebody on retainer for that. It's going to allow us to do more advertising, more marketing, to spread the word about the podcast. So I hope that you'll join the How They Love Mary Patreon. You can learn more about it at patreon.com slash howtheylovemary. And for the link, check the show notes. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. And today I'm happy to be speaking with Sister Andrew Marie. She is a daughter of St. Paul, and we're going to talk with her about her vocation, but also about another little apostolate she has uh, within her vocation of making rosaries. October being the month of the rosary, it's great to be able to talk about rosary making and to get some insights from her about that. So welcome to the show, How They Love Mary, Sister Andrew Marie. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Well, great. Sister, maybe first of all, as we start out our conversation, I think always when you meet a religious sister or you meet a priest, some people want to know a little bit about why did they discern that call? How did they get to be where they are today? And so how was it that God acted in your life to lead you to religious life? Um. Yeah, that's. I always love hearing people's vocation stories too. Um, for the standard reason, it's always fascinating. But for me, um, just briefly, I'll just give a synopsis. But I grew up in a, a non-Catholic home, a non-practicing Catholic home, and so we didn't go to mass ever. And but I went to Catholic school. So because uh, the public schools were less than desirable, so my parents figured for at least a little while they could afford Catholic school. So I would get a good foundation academically. It wasn't for the religious aspect of it at all. Um, but I ended up starting in Catholic schools in first grade and then just was able to continue um, throughout through 12th grade. And so religion for me, all growing up, was just kind of something that we studied in school. And I knew a lot about Jesus and I knew about the church, but I didn't really know him. You know, I didn't know Jesus. I, um, I didn't really have anything to do with my personal life. <laughs> um, the faith didn't have anything to do with that, except my grandmother would, would go to Mass, um, even often daily, my mother's mother would go, and she would pray the rosary every day, and, and yeah, pray with the readings for Mass and everything. So I would I would see her um, doing those things when I would visit her. Um, and in Catholic school, because I was baptized Catholic, I received all my sacraments, like, on time. <laughs> um, so my mom was happy because she didn't have to deal with any of that. <laughs> and, 
Yeah, but then in high school, I started realizing if I, after I had gotten confirmed, I realized if I really was going to, um, I was going to go off to college. And if I was going to go off to college and I wasn't going to be in a Catholic school anymore, um, what did I believe? And, and I couldn't just kind of default to be Catholic because I was in a Catholic school. So I started going to Mass on my own <laughs> um, my senior year of high school. Um, and through that, um, a lot of things happened, but one of the main things was I discovered Eucharistic adoration with the youth group, and I fell in love with Jesus in the Eucharist, and I wanted to tell the whole world about him, <laughs> um, but I didn't know how to do that, and and I didn't know that sisters still existed. I, I There were some sisters in our school, but they seemed very much old, older <laughs> than us. I don't know how old they really were. But um, they seemed old, and they never spoke of religious life to us that I can remember. If they did, I just didn't pay attention, um, which is probably more the case. They probably did speak to us of it, but I didn't pay attention to it. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know religious life was an option, um, but I knew I wanted to give my life to Jesus and to dedicate myself, especially to, to prayer before the Eucharist. Um, and then I went to a youth conference after my senior year of high school, a Steubenville youth conference, and there were sisters everywhere. <laughs> um, I didn't talk to any of them, but then I knew that they existed and that I had to pray about this. Um, so, yeah, through a long kind of route of events there and stuff, I ended up finding out, uh, finding a vocations poster of our sisters, of the Daughters of St. Paul. The of the sisters was, the first one was us adoring Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, which definitely drew my attention because I, I wanted to do that. And then the second picture was a sister with a video camera. And I thought all that sisters did was healthcare work and teach, which are good things, but I didn't feel called to either of those things. So when I found out that sisters existed, I still didn't think it was for me because I didn't know sisters did anything different than what I kind of assumed. Um, but when I found out about the video camera, and why she had it, one of the quotes I read from one of the sisters said, um, we give the message of Jesus Christ and his church to the whole world by using the media. We can reach everyone. And that resonated deeply in my heart. And so I knew I needed to find out more about these sisters. <laughs> um, and we, we have the grace of getting to make a, a holy hour every day. That's part of our required um, to do, if you, if you want to look at it like a requirement. But we, we have the opportunity um, in our in our life to make a holy hour every day, um, praying for the whole world and praying for ourselves. And it's just a, a huge gift. Um, and then we use the media to proclaim the message of Jesus and his church. So it's um, it's great fun. So then after, so I discerned religious life all through college. So my freshman year of college is when I found the poster. And then I would go on come and sees and visits to the convent. Um, we, we don't have a convent from the city where I'm from. I'm from Houston, Texas, but we did have a convent in San Antonio, Texas, which was about four hours from me by driving. So sometimes I would visit there, or I would visit the sisters at our mother house in Boston, um, which actually is where I am right now. <laughs> um, and I would go on retreats and things. And, and each time I came, I would be looking for things that were reasons that I could do this, because like, I still didn't think it could be possible that Jesus could be calling me to live this life, but um, every time I went, it felt more and more like home, and the sisters were so welcoming, and they would invite me back to come to another come and see, and 
Um, and they helped me in my discernment. You know, they gave me things to pray with and would meet with me and talk with me um, about my prayer and everything. So, um, yeah, at the end of college, so I finished college in four years, and then I um, I entered my community a couple months after my college graduation. Um, and it's, that was 16 years ago, so <laughs> um, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but, but it's been a great a great, like, amazing opportunity and gift to live this life. Um, so yeah, that's like a synopsis of my vocation story. A lot of stuff happened in between there, but <laughs> but that's the, the basics of it. Well, it seems from your story, one of the things that pops out to me is the fact that this is uh, the sacramental grace of confirmation that you kind of took that seriously. You said, well, if I'm not going to be in this Catholic school setting, I need to figure this out on my own. And that was really the grace of the sacrament of confirmation, which led you to the Eucharist, which led you to prayer, which led you ultimately to discern religious life. Now, when you went off to college, was it a public college or did you go to a private school? Um, was there a Newman Center? What was uh, your Catholic yeah. base there in university? Yeah, so it was a public college, um, a very a small state school in Texas, um, and it had a, a Newman Center, a very small Newman Center. <laughs> um, and but I practically lived there. I thought it was the greatest thing ever that we could um, have this Catholic group of friends and, and go to mass and. Um, I ended up getting a job at the Newman Center, you know, through the diocese, and um, I became, like, the president of the Catholic Association at a certain point and um, led retreats and, and all kinds of stuff. So, because um, when I first came back to the church, when I, I thought everybody that had been going to Mass must know all these things. I started learning, really, the truths of the church and, and praying, and I... I just figured I was so behind, so I wanted to do any Catholic thing that was out there. <laughs> so I went when I went up to college, and there were retreats, and there were opportunities for things. I I went to everything possible, <laughs> um, and I would try to get all my friends to come with me, even if they weren't Catholic. I would just you know be like, you should come. There's going to be free food and a talk, and you should come for the free food. Um, so which is always a good ploy for college students. College students will go anywhere if there's free food. So. Um, but yeah, I, I was very much involved with the Newman Center, and um, yeah, it was it was a great opportunity. Um, and I had there was another a bigger university about an hour from us, Texas A and M University, and they have a large Newman Center, very large. So we would go there sometimes to learn things from them and to just partake in some of their bigger events that happened. And, and I made some great friends there too um, through their Newman Center. So it was it was a blessed time and. I learned so much and really learned how to pray well and learned that other young people my age wanted to live a life of faith. And it just it just helped me grow even more, you know, knowing that I wasn't alone in that. Now, when you entered the Daughters of St. Paul, uh, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb, but you entered, you become a postulant, a novice. Is that all out in Boston? Um, it was when I entered. Now our postulants enter in St. Louis. Okay. So, um, so postulancy is the first two years of our formation. So, like to become a daughter of Saint Paul, you spend two years more or less as a postulant, and then two years of novitiate, and the novitiate is still here in Boston. So, that's really um, the two years of really like intense preparation for vows. And God willing, at the end of those two years, you make first vows. Um, you receive the habit. You can take on an additional name. 
Um, so that's where, like, I added the name Andrew onto my name. <laughs> Some people don't realize that we can still do that, so they're confused by my name. But um, And then after you make first vows, you are sent really to anywhere. Our province is the United States and an English-speaking Canada, so we have a house in Toronto. Um, so you can get, like, sent um, to any of those locations once you make vows. And you make um, temporary vows, so your vows last for a year, for about six years, like renewing them each year until final profession, until final vows. So all in all, it takes about 10 years from when you enter to when you make final vows for us. It can vary a little bit depending on the religious order and what the rules are. But um, but yeah, that's that's our formation in a nutshell. <laughs> and where all has your religious life then taking, taken you to serve? Oh, gosh. So I've gotten to go to so many places. It's been amazing. So um, even in um, like initial formation, so like Pashtunsi and Novitiate, we do have times where we get to visit like other houses to have other experiences. Um, like sometimes like seminarians do like a pastoral year or they'll have like, you know, a time in a parish or something. But we do something a little comparable um, to that. So I got to spend like a month in different, a few different places when I was a postulant or a, a novice. But then um, after first vows, I've lived in a lot of places. I lived in Miami, Florida, um, Alexandria, Virginia, St. Louis, Missouri, Boston for a time, um, got to, so we get to spend a year, roughly a year, in Italy in preparation for our final vows because we were founded in Italy. So we go to Italy, um, we learn Italian because <laughs> it's the language of our congregation, um, and then we have about five months of a course that takes place to prepare us for final vows, and that's all done in Italian. And we get to make a pilgrimage to all of the places of our founder and of our first sisters and everything um, with daughters of St. Paul from all over the world. So there were, when I was there, we were about 20 sisters in my group from all different countries, and we all learned Italian, and um, that's how we communicated and, and spent the time together. And so we got to be in Italy for a year, um, which was a huge grace. <laughs> and then after final vows, I've been in Los Angeles and then San Antonio for a, a couple years. And then most recently, I was assigned to Miami, Florida. I'm in working on a project, and I've just been asked to um, to go to St. Louis, Missouri. So I'll actually, when I leave here, I'll be going to St. Louis next month. <laughs> so, so you've been on the move as a missionary for sure with the daughters yeah, of St. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. One of the things about the yeah. daughters of St. Paul that I've uh, realized and learned about and really something that's very impressive to me is that you pray for celebrities and for their conversion <laughs> and for their well-being and all of this you kind of adopt them is my understanding and i'm just wondering could you share which celebrities you might be praying for <laughs> yes so <laughs> that is something we do um we pray actually in reparation for misuse of the media. That's a big part of our spirituality. And we pray that good media might be produced. So if it's from our own publications, then praise God. But anybody that's doing good things, we try for them so that the good might, might reach the world. But um, I don't, I, some sisters do have like specific celebrities they always pray for, but I just try to keep up with the news and I try to see like what's happening 
currently and just pray for the families of of people involved. So I've actually been kind of out of touch with the news since I've been working on this project, but um, I often pray for musicians because I like music a lot, um, even older musicians, but some of the younger ones, even like Britney Spears, all of those kind of people that sometimes make decisions that you kind of wonder what, what's happened. <laughs> um, I pray for them because ob- it's obvious that they're very talented in what they do, and if they could use that to bring um you know, goodness to people, it would, it would be such a gift. Um, so yeah, I, um, I know other sisters keep up with stuff, but I, I just pray in general <laughs> for, um, for the good use of the media might over, overcome the bad use of the media that's out there. So. Well, that's great. And that's really an encouragement, I think, for all of us, that as we watch the news, as we scroll through Twitter and Facebook and all of our social media platforms and read the news stories, that they can always be invitations for us to pray, to pray for those who are hurting, to pray for those who are affected, those who are in need of conversion. Now, one of the things that I notice on your Twitter, uh, as it's come up on my timeline uh, many different times, is that you like to make rosaries And you do so through uh, corded rosaries. And you have an Etsy shop even, uh, Sister Andrew's Ladder Rosaries. And I just want to talk a little bit about that because it's the month of October. It's the month of the rosary. We should be praying the rosary every day, especially for peace in the world, as Our Lady of Fatima said. But I'm curious as to what led you to this. Now, I know some people uh, that do make rosaries similar to what you're making. They don't make ladder rosaries. They just make regular knotted rosaries. But how did you get into this hobby of making these rosaries? Um, Yeah, it just kind of happened by chance. I made myself a rosary that was a a ladder cord rosary because I had read lots of saints have said similar things that our our founder, um, Blessed James Albarione, even like alludes to to Our Lady, to Mary as a ladder to heaven. Like Mary helps us get get to Jesus and get to heaven. So Mary is like a ladder. Um, Some different saints will say that. Um, So when I saw, I saw a picture of one of these online. I didn't come up with, some people think I I created the design for it, but I didn't. I I saw it on a rosary-making website that somebody had made um, a twine rosary but made it look like a ladder. So I was like, that's pretty cool. So I made one for myself, and then I would post pictures of it, not intending that people would want me to make them one. I just wanted to remind people to pray the rosary. (laughs) So I would post a picture of me with my rosary in my hand and say, just remember to pray the rosary. There's still time, you know, if it was the evening or something. And then people started messaging me and saying, sister, can you, can I have one of those rosaries? Can can you make me one? <laughs> and um, so at first it was just individual people, you know, would message me mainly on Twitter and on Instagram some. And um, so then I, I asked permission if I could um, start an Etsy um, just because it was, there were getting to be too many people asking and I couldn't, it was too complicated to have, try to have them like, mail me a check and then I would send them a rosary and it was just a lot of work. So I said, you know, this is, if there's interest, then we can continue it. And if not, then we can just close the Etsy. It's not that hard of a thing. I didn't think it would be as popular as it was. The sisters that I lived with thought it would be, but I I was just surprised. So I opened the Etsy and um, people from all over have, have gotten rosaries from me, even from other countries, which has been amazing. Um, 
I just got an order from Russia the other day. So oh, wow. um, it's really beautiful. Uh, yeah, it, and I'm like Australia and Spain, and I mean, I I don't even know how they find it, but I, I'm grateful. And I mean, if I could, I would just give rosaries away to everybody, but I mean, we have to pay for the supplies and everything, and I have to make them. So um, all the funds just go back to my community so that it, it goes to the sisters. Um, but yeah, it's just been a great way. I just want people to, um, to come to know our lady as our, as our mother. And because she's really been a mother to me, um, especially in, in difficult times, um, and, and just praying the rosary and even just holding on to my rosary. Like I always have it in my pocket. Um, sometimes I just hold on to it just, and I ask, I ask our blessed mother to me, you know, and to, to help me feel close to Jesus. And she always does. Um, so it's just a personal prayer that I've always recently, even, I guess it hasn't even, hasn't even been my whole religious life that I've, I've felt a closeness to the blessed mother in this way, but it's definitely been growing for the past, probably like 10 years or so. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful to, to be able to provide rosaries for people and, I'm grateful, too, because the sales on Etsy do allow, I, I am able to give some rosaries away, so it, it's a great gift to be able to give them away to people that might need them. I've given some to some seminarians and things like that, or to some other religious, so they can give them out to people, you know, that they minister to. So it's it's a great gift. I just want everybody to be able to have a rosary <laughs> and to learn how to pray it, so... Well, that's great. And one of the things on the image on your Etsy shop, it says hashtag rosary a day. Now, is that just the encouragement to pray a rosary every day? Or is it your goal to make a rosary every single day? It's both. So yeah, at first, it was just a a reminder to me, like, to pray the rosary every day. (laughs) Um, But then probably a couple years ago now, actually, during the month of October, I thought, I want to make a rosary a day. Um, and for the most part, I, I usually do. Um, sometimes I don't because apostolic needs, you know, our mission comes up or if I'm having to travel or something. Um, right now there's really no traveling because of the, <laughs> of the pandemic right now. But um, in other circumstances, sometimes I'd have to be traveling and then that doesn't happen. But for the most part, in the evenings, I just, I'll listen to podcasts or talks or something and I'll make a rosary or if some of the sisters are, Sometimes we watch films, like movies or TV shows, to stay up with current media things. And so while we're rosary, um, and it's it's just it's a great gift. Even making them now is a really peaceful thing for me to do. It kind of just calms me down, and um, I pray for the person that's going to receive the rosary. Sometimes I know who it's going to go to. Sometimes I know it's you know a gift for somebody. Um, so that's really special because then I can really pray for them personally. But I always pray for whoever's going to get it that they might feel closer to Jesus and Mary, in in praying with it. So now you yeah. have a few special rosaries. It looks like in the shop. One of them actually, as I'm looking at it, says eleven people have this in their cart. So I'm assuming somebody <laughs> put it in their cart. They're like they're thinking, I want to buy this. Maybe they're not ready to buy it. They don't have the resources yet, but they're like, I don't want to forget about it. I know my Amazon card is like that. And so it's the Hope and Healing Cord Ladder Rosary. It's green and blue. And what's the story behind that rosary? Um, Yeah, so that's a recent thing. Um, 
I also have been blessed a lot with um, just like a lot of prayer for inner healing, like from Jesus and, and from friends and stuff. So I've been on my own kind of journey of healing from different things for the for several years. And um, I learned about, so on that rosary, there's a tiny saint attached to it. So tiny saint is a, they're a company that makes these little like keychain like things <laughs> with little kind of cartoon images of saints. Um, if you Google them, you can find them. But um, the saint that's on there is, I believe you pronounce her name Saint Fotina. Um, and it's, it's an Eastern tradition or Orthodox tradition to name her, but she's the woman at the well. So in the, in the Gospels, when Jesus goes through Samaria and meets the woman at the well, some traditions have named her. In the, in the Roman Church, I don't think we have a name for her. We just call her um, in the Roman Catholic Church. But other, other traditions have named her, and they named her Saint Flotina, and that means light. And the image of the woman at the well, for me, has been an image of healing because Jesus came and basically told her all of her stuff that had been going on that would cause her pain and would cause her separation, you know, from society and from from God. And But he says it not to, like, insult her or to make her feel bad, but so that he can bring her to communion to himself, like he he brings himself to her. So, for me, the image of the Samaritan woman at the well um, is a huge image of healing because I can come before Jesus with my wounds and Jesus won't um, lash out at me or leave me. He he comes to me in that so that he can like unite himself. Um, so when I found out about that tiny saint, I was like, I want to do something. So the rosary is green and blue. The blue is for the water at the well, um, the water of at the well of Samaria, but also the water of our baptism, because in our baptism we've received all that we need um, to be in union with Jesus. And and then the green is just a the a symbol of hope. The color green is a symbol of hope. Um, so so yeah, that's I just did it as a personal thing, and I didn't know half the time. I never know if people are gonna like the certain color that I pick or whatever of these rosaries. So I just see what happens. Um, and I told some friends I wanted to do this and they donated the tiny saints to me. So that was a, a huge help. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that was, that was that rosary, which if anything, I was like, well, this is beautiful and I'll, I'll pray with it for people to have healing. So <laughs> um, if no one else buys it, at least I have it. So it's good. Uh, another rosary that caught my eye is the priesthood ladder cord rosary, and that has a little uh, pewter medal of St. John Vianney, just a reminder for people to pray for their priests. And maybe as they pray that rosary, they pray for a lot of different priests, the priests that baptized them, the priests that gave them First Communion, for the priests that heard their confessions throughout the years, for their pastors, whatever it might be. But again, uh, a little meaning behind one of the rosaries you made, and uh, a very beautiful one, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, I mean, we we all have to pray for each other, but I, I, it's been on my heart, too. We, we need to pray for our priests, and um so yeah, that's just a simple. I found those medals um, with Saint John Vianney on them, who's the patron of priests, and um, it, it's been a great gift to. I, I've been able to give those to to a few priests too, um, and some seminarians, and that's that's been a gift. Like they asked for it, and I was able to send them one. So um, yeah, it's just, but it, it is, and like you said, it's good to 
pray for the priests that baptized you, even if you don't know their name, you know, even if you don't have your certificate or anything anymore, or the priests that will hear your confession or whatever. Um, it's it's just good, <laughs> good to do, so... Uh, and just so people know that in addition to the traditional Dominican rosary that we know of with the joyful, luminous, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries, you also have other types of chaplets and rosaries. You have the seven-decade Franciscan crown ladder rosary that focuses on the joys of Mary. Uh, you also have a St. Michael chaplet. So you do have other forms of chaplets and ways in which people can pray. I, I'm scrolling again, and I see the Sacred Heart of Jesus chaplet, the St. Joseph chaplet. So uh, if you're drawn to other forms of prayer and need something to help you with that, uh, well, you have that available for people as well. Yes. Yeah, I try not to do too, too many other things because it's hard to keep up, but um, but some of them are just the things that have touched me the most, so then I put them out there. You want to so be able to share that with I also other people. Have, yeah, and often I also have the Seven Sorrows Chaplet. I'm just out of those medals right now, but um, but yeah, and that's a, a, a beautiful devotion as well. And maybe just lastly, to, as we wrap up talking about your rosary making, your Etsy shop, people can find the link to the Etsy shop in the show notes. Uh, but how is it, or how do you feel, I guess, or what kind of emotion does it evoke within you? Or I guess I don't know exactly how to preface the question, but essentially you make these rosaries, people are praying them, they're going to pray them for a long time. What effect does that have on you? I guess it's just in a I'm I'm grateful and I just want people to get closer to Jesus and Mary. So if in my own little way I can help anybody do that, um that I'm humbled um and and I'm grateful that I can do something that can help people in that regard. Um yeah, so just gratitude and and humbled and um and grateful for for everybody's support also, but yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, that's so wonderful, sister. And one of the things that I like to do at the end of our conversation is to do a quick Marian profile, just a series of rapid fire questions about the Blessed Mother that might inspire other people in their devotion to Mary. The very first question is a favorite title of Mary that you invoke that maybe you call upon in your own intercessory prayer. Oh, gosh. Um, Refuge of Sinners. Okay. <laughs> Our Lady of Refuge of Sinners, yeah. You are a rosary maker, and so maybe that'll be your answer, but a favorite Marian sacramental that you make use of, whether it's the rosary or some sort of medal or other thing that you might wear? Um, well, the rosary and the brown scapular, I would say both. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are lots of different prayers to the Blessed Mother. Some have been written by saints. Others, um, others come to us from the tradition. Is there a Marian prayer that you like to pray? Um, there's a consecration to Mary that it was adapted every day. It's just a short form of the consecration by St. Louis de Montfort, but um, I pray that every day. <laughs> okay. And when it comes to the rosary, you're trying to help people pray the rosary by making rosaries. Uh, is there a tip that you can help people to pray the rosary better, something that has helped you to engage the prayer and mysteries more? Um, yeah, I I would say some people say that they get distracted or um, they can't pray all five decades at the same time. It's monotonous or something. But 
I would say if that's a problem, then to start with just one decade at a time and pray it for somebody that you know is struggling or for a specific intention. Um, I often pray that the sorrowful mysteries um, for different, like for people that are suffering physically even. So like for the crowning of thorns, I have a friend who suffers from terrible migraines. So I often pray for her. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I never would have thought of that. For the crowning of thorns because I... I know Jesus. So even even things like that, it's kind of simple. But um, but just to pray a decade at the time, at the time, at a time, even. But even just to like unite each decade for a particular intention or for a particular person, we all know people that that need prayers. So um, that that kind of helps me too, even when I if I'm distracted or something. Mary comes to us in the pages of sacred scripture. We meet her in the Gospels. The prophets foretell her and her son Jesus. Is there a favorite passage about the Blessed Mother that you go to in your own personal prayer or Lexio Divina? Um, I often pray with the wedding at Cana um, when he when she tells them like to do whatever Jesus Jesus tells them, and she just notices she notices that they're out of wine, um, and so I like to think whatever's happening in my life, if for some reason I don't feel close to Jesus, I feel that. Mary sees what's happening, and she brings me to Jesus. So, let me be speaking now. <laughs> okay. And Mary has appeared all throughout the world in many different places. Uh, do you have a favorite Marian apparition? Oh, man. Um, I do like Our Lady of Guadalupe. I haven't been able to go there yet, but I hope one day to be able to visit her. <laughs> yes, and to be there in front of that miraculous image of the Tilma, there are lots of different yeah. shrines to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Of course, these Marian apparition sites like Guadalupe are a shrine, but has there been a Marian shrine that you've visited that's left an impression on you? Um, or maybe a Marian shrine you would love to visit? I'm going to have a love to visit. There's, there's so many. I haven't actually gotten to go to many places that have Marian shrines. So... Um, I know that there's some in our own country that I, I don't even know as much about, but to learn and hopefully have the chance to go to some of them someday. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a vague answer, but that's all I got. <laughs> sure. And if people want to check out more about Marian Shrines, I always recommend them to go to Marge Fenlin's book. Uh, she did a nine-day spiritual yeah. pilgrimage book mm -hmm. about all the different Marian Shrines that she visited in person. Um, how about a Marian book recommendation? Oh, man. Um, there's so much, but um, I'm not sure of one in particular. I I always go back to quotes from um, like St. Maximilian Kolbe or um, Louis de Montfort. Um, but also I was just reading a book from our founder, which I think is out of print now, which I know is out of print now, called The Glories of Mary. And um, our founder is Blessed James Alberione. But, uh, um, so I was just reading that. <laughs> and lastly, as we go to Mass on a Marian feast day, whether it's the Assumption or Mary, Mother of God, the Immaculate Conception, is there a Marian song that you always hope that the choir will sing? Oh, wow. Um I love kind of the classics, even like we saw the Regina, or, and then in English, sometimes they sing the Hail Holy Queen, and it's the same thing. But it's ones that are familiar that I don't have to 
look at the hymnal maybe and I can just sing and close my eyes and sing them to Our Lady. I like those. Well, that's great. Well, I'd like to thank you so much, Sister, for joining me uh, today on this podcast, How They Love Mary. And if people want to learn more about you and your work, how can they find you online? Um, so in general, you can go to the Daughters of St. Paul. If you just Google Daughters of St. Paul or hashtag media nuns. Um, and then for me personally on social media, on all the social media things, my handle is at Sister SR Andrew FSP. So you can find me. But you can find a bunch of our sisters if you just look for the hashtag media nuns. That's great. And I encourage people to follow you. You know, we had Tommy Ty on this show a few weeks ago, and he is a big fan of the Pauline sisters, of the daughters of St. Paul. And he thinks that you're the only people that should be tweeting Catholic content online, probably besides the Pope. But anyways, (laughs) please give Sister Andrew a follow uh, and all the other daughters of St. Paul. I know I follow many of them myself and always am enriched by your content. Thank you. It's it's a joy to see what you post too, Father. Oh, well, you're very kind. Well, thanks so much, sister, and we'll talk again sometime soon. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you don't mind, please leave a review of this podcast. Please rate it on Apple Podcasts on whatever platform you listen. Share this podcast also on your social media if you don't mind. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.